Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we deep dive into a different aspect of cinema, a genre, director, actor, or franchise. It doesn't matter, because it's always fun at the Film Club. I'm Dean. I'm Becky. And this week we're talking about... Buck and the Preacher. And we have a guest. We do. We're rounding off Western Month with a guest, and our guest is Brandon. Hello! Howdy! <laughs> Welcome Yeehaw. back. Last time you were on, you brought us Orson Welles' The Stranger. Yeah. The, Which is a really great film. One of the, the lesser-known films, and you brought us another obscure lesser-known film. By, by another a... legendary actor. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, so, Buck and the Preacher, directed by Sidney Poitier, starring Sidney Poitier, and also starring Henry Belafonte? Harry yep. Belafonte? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it Henry or Harry? Harry. Harry, Harry Belafonte. <laughs> I feel wow. bad because he's he like killed in this movie. Also yes. stars Ruby D. Yes. And this is coming out in nineteen seventy-two, kind yeah. of at the the beginning stages of like the black exploitation genre movement, whatever we want to call it. Before Blazing Saddles. Before Blazing Saddles. Yes. <laughs> um and I'm curious, what what drew you to bringing this one to the podcast, you know, to round off Western Month? I think it's just an interesting film period. Sidney Potier's first, you know, directorial debut. Mm-hmm. is a western and it's a very odd choice if you look at his acting you'd think it'd be something way more prestigious prestigious dramatic personal and like you know i, I just thought like it, it reminded me of i want to bring the film because it reminds me of how like um key key michael key My, uh, michael key washington no 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 um michael key west directed uh get uh get out uh, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. There's no key. No, there's Keegan, no Mike, key. Keegan, Mike, and Keel. Uh, yeah. Keegan. Yeah. Wrong guy. Wrong sorry, Comedy Central yes, special. Peele. My bad. My bad. I'm, my brain's still going. I didn't have my morning coffee. I'm having it now. Thank you, Dean. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, cheers. Not, not, cheers. Not sponsored, but go to uh, uh, Mino's Cafe in Whittier. It, they have coffee. They also have really good Dr. Pepper. I, I had to read just to make sure Dean... It was. It didn't say Minas or Mimos. I I, I know uh, that's what I was looking at. Like, is, is it Memos? Yeah, I had to make. I gotta make sure because Dean just you know called him he- Henry Belafonte. I yes. am famous for f- messing up people's names. Oh, he's famous now. Famous, <laughs> famously. Uh, I have not gone through a single back of the box synopsis without messing up at least once in like a year. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dean's famous name fucker. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I'm I'm great at that. Yes, um, but it kind of and it's your handwriting too. That's the funniest thing. Don't worry about my handwriting. And then he gets mad at me, and he's like, "Can you read it?" I'm like, "I can't even read anything uh, you write me hey, in a greeting card." This is what I I imagine. Hey, Boo, could you read this for me? I know I copied it directly off of mm-hmm. IMDb or Wikipedia's back DVD box. I like I five minutes them. ago. Five I minutes cl- ago, I clean them up. I I like round them together. You know, there's there's a little bit of wordplay here. And, and you, a lot of copy paste. That and you also you write it in cursive. If you're struggling, I think you should write it. You know, all caps. Yes. the The, the title of the movie should be printed all caps. Yes. <laughs> Block letters. Block. Real deep shading yeah. them in. Matter of fact, get the little tr- letter tracers. There you go. Um, but it kind of reminded me thought like the the correlation like if Sydney had done his first movie now. He'd have a bigger budget, mm-hmm. a studio like Bloomhouse to fund it, yeah, rather than just a series of little production companies paying for his film. So that's what kind of I was like, you know, this would be an interesting film to talk about because I guarantee you, Dean doesn't know about it. 
you did not. You were right. I, I just mean, like to throw these films where Dean's like, "What the fuck is this?" It, that's always the best. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to catch me slipping. All right, but Brandon's real it's, good it's at it. It's not that hard. <laughs> About movies, yes. Like you I watched too barely, many movies. You just barely watched The Wizard of Oz. For he the does first that time. on purpose. Though. It was not those the big first movies. Time. He does that on purpose. I know. He always catches me off guard. He's like, "Yeah, I just watched this big epic for the first time." I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, <laughs> "You know, it's taken me a while, but I've gotten around to it." I'm just like. It it takes time to get through you know yeah, the breadth of cinema. I just binged all of Ben Hur. Okay, Ben Hur is a, a, a banger. All right, Ben Hur is sweet. People hate that movie. I think that movie's great. But yeah. Buck and the Preacher. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. So uh, for those who don't know what Buck and the Preacher is about, I have the the back of the box. You know, you I was go. called out for it being from Wikipedia. Get the source directly. You know, <laughs> written neatly so he could write it messy. That's why uh, Alex brought us the back of the box. Literally brought us the yeah, box. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Buck is a former Union sergeant and freed slave that is leading a wagon train to... <laughs> okay. Buck is a former Union sergeant and freed slave that is leading a wagon train of African-Americans west from Louisiana to find new land to settle. But a posse of violent white men are hired by plantation owners to turn the wagon train back around, even if it means killing Buck to get it done. Buck on the run from the posse comes along the preacher, a fiery holy man and con man with gold in his eyes, who joins up with Buck after seeing the justice in his quest. The two must now keep the posse preoccupied as the wagon train crosses the plains, rob a bank to get enough money to build their new settlement, and keep the uneasy alliance with the native tribes or be forced off the land. That was a big box. It's a lot of words. But that that's basically the movie, you know. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a good pitch. Well, remember, it's probably from the Criterion Collection, the back of the box. So, you know, they like to add, tell you the the whole movie down to even the production details on the Criterion box. Yeah. It, it also surprised me that this had a Criterion release, by the way. Because yeah. watching the movie, I was like, are we, are we sure this isn't a VHS rip? You know? <laughs> Well, I mean, the copy that I watched, I, I had to find a copy because it's not streaming anywhere. So mine was a little rough. So it's like I would have liked to have seen like a clean copy of it. I will tell you on the Amazon copy, mm -hmm. the, the official HD release, right? You can tell it's a low budget film. Really? You can tell. Because I, I guarantee you, you guys probably saw the... Uh... <laughs> you guys Dropping saw... your coffee all over the place. <laughs> yeah. You guys, I guarantee you guys saw the, the change in like the film grain, mm -hmm. the way it went from like real nicely shot to like something really rough, rough. day for knife shots. Yeah. Like not only that, but like the day shot of them of the horse, like it looks really bad. Like they didn't open it enough on the aperture. It's really interesting because the movie it is Sydney Poitier's like first film, and I think the budget for this was two million dollars, right? But the movie has a vibe of being like a B picture drive in aesthetic, right? Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things where I don't want to like, you know, just besmirch the great Sidney Poitier as a director. <laughs> but was it just me or when you were watching it, did it feel like there wasn't that cinematic flourish of like an auteur director? It felt like a journeyman kind of for the paycheck director working into it. So what I wrote is it felt like someone that. It's just experimenting for the first time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's a guy that acted, but he's like, I've never thought about behind the camera. So he's like, well, let me give it a shot. Like um, the the point of view of him, the horse. There's just there's one scene where there's a point of view. Mm -hmm. Like you see the horse as he's going back to his house to see his wife for the first time. 
random POV shot. Yeah. Like on the horse, he gets off, boom. Like it's just a random shot. So I feel like he, when he took over, right? I mean, backstory. Some another director was doing it, a, a white fellow. Mm-hmm. I believe it was John Sargent, I think, something like that. I, I think his last name was like Sargent. Fact check, Gene, Dean. Not not because of the first name, the last name. Joseph Sargent. Joseph Sargent. Oh, well. See, I, mm, I was there. I was there. But he felt Sydney felt like he wasn't portraying the the uh, the black plight of the slaves. Yeah. Well enough. The real meaning of the film. Real meaning. Yeah. Right. Um, especially since it's odd for the time, especially just coming out of the civil rights era. Not only a black man, but a whole um, I don't know tribe family. It's village, a whole village of former black slaves. Mm-hmm. The overcoming entire uh, the entire the cast is is African American, black, and the villains are all white dudes. Yes, which is a really weird flip on how literally every western up until that point had been portrayed. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and you even have the Indians, yeah. like full blown Native Americans, mm-hmm. essentially from this neutral party to at the end, you know, heroes because they help. Help them pass through the lands. Because they hate the white man just as much as we do. <laughs> and then you have the one sheriff that actually, you know, wants Following to give... the law. Yeah, he yeah. wants to follow the law. He wants to give people the opportunity to come to his town and to live comfortably yeah. and safely. But it's the people that just can't get over that there's been a shift and a change in the mm-hmm. right direction. And it's like, no, we can't let this happen. We have yeah. to stay stuck in the past. Until they have to intervene. Yeah. Which is, you know... uh so let's we'll start talking about the story because I do enjoy the the script. Yeah, I mean the the biggest thing about the script and the story is that it's really has a a pretty holistic view of like the racial politics of like that of like you know the nineteen sixties seventies era, and it's injecting it into this story of like the western, and it really does cohese pretty well mm-hmm. because it's a thing where. You know, uh, Buck and the Preacher, they start off as enemies. You know, they are two on two different sides of this spectrum yeah. of wanting to help people. And even like the evil white characters, there is the sheriff who is more sympathetic to the plight. And then you have the posse that are like the, the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to show that there's good and evil on both sides and that this is a really complicated issue depending on who you're talking about. It's mm-hmm. a really interesting <laughs> I keep hitting the <laughs> microphone. It's a really interesting story about how it comes back together. Um, I would say, and speaking of Buck, is Buck, and I think we're going to talk about this, it, he's more of a, uh, reminds uh, me more of like a, a black exploitation hero. Because he's not completely good. No. 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 Like he's an anti-hero at pretty much mm-hmm. the definition. Um, he robs banks. He, he kills he, get men, unarmed robbed, men, basically. He, he robbed the preacher. He did. Yeah. He, he, drop your draws. <laughs> Oh God! Funniest scene in the movie. That it, it, it catches you off guard. And he's just so happy too. He's yeah. in he's in the river washing himself off. Harry Belafonte's ass. <laughs> Harry Belafonte yeah. steals every scene he is in. Oh, no, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of those things because Sidney Poitier he is a prestigious actor at yes. this point, right? Guess who's coming to dinner? Raisin in the Sun. Um, the Defiant Ones. To Sir with Love. Mm-hmm. To Sir with Love. Um, in the heat of the night, like prestigious a-level actor yeah and you he's coming in with award-winning like award, yes i think at this point he had two oscars yeah. already and he's coming in and he's like i am you know buck i am this you know serious guy and then henry bella or harry belafonte is like yo dude like i'm just gonna be way more entertaining than you in every scene i'm in but that's the role yeah it is but the 
the preacher he well con man mm. mm-hmm. you know um embodies his former master's role of a preacher that's a snake oil salesman so he he plays that role perfectly with the the grandiose theater of fire and brimstone yeah. Fornicate, fornicate, fornicate. <laughs> that was hilarious. Oh, God. I love how he's just pulling these fucking sermons out of his ass yeah. just to get these people being like, you know, this guy might not be a preacher, but he's got a tight five in there. He could be a stand-up. Yeah. Well, I mean, even when they split the money in the end and Buck asks him, what are you going to do with your money? And yeah. he goes, oh, I'm going to go and buy a big tent and I'm going to be throwing on these sermons, you know, as often as I can because he knows that's going to pull in the money. People money. are going to go and he's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. That's another level of the story because the religious aspect of it is, I, I think the movie is looking at it as like, no, religion is a business now. Mm-hmm. It's not for God. It's for profit. But it, on the other hand, you look at, um, I believe the character name is Cujo. Oh, yeah. yeah. With the, yeah. the leader, the, the elder of the tribe. Because that's mm-hmm. what, even though they're Americanized and they refer to him as the elder. Yeah, I think yeah. they call him like a shaman at one point, yeah. and so, he's like reading the reading the bones and everything. Yeah, the bones. Mm-hmm. So it it more or less it I think it's a slight commentary on like you know the white man's religion is business, mm-hmm. but their natural their their home country uh, faith religion is you know more give them direction. Yeah, get, keep them on the because there's times where the people in the group want to give up when they get raided by um, Cameron Mitchell. I think uh, Shay. Cause they they fu- they fuck up that the that group at least two Constantly. or three times. Like it's yeah. it's not like just once. They've come back again. They know this man is completely completely. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll go. hold for a second. Yeah. Let you get the wires crossed. <laughs> there we go. Um, this man is completely like just really trying to make Buck give up. Like it's it's a it's crazy the amount of like violence in violence. This? Just and, hate. It's yeah, it's a period like you see it for like burning everything up for no reason. Yeah, killing people in their sleep. It's just like the ch- the kid. Like, yeah, the the kid Toby. And like what is, you know, this hatred that's there that you know you just can't let people be. Yeah. You know, they're constantly on the go on this long wagon train thinking that they have to pack up every day and leave people behind mm-hmm. just because they want to live a normal life. Yeah. Wait, the the kid's name was Toby? Yeah. So when I saw it, I, I For, did one more watch last night, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, when did Roots come out? <laughs> Do my exact thought. I was like, wait, wait a minute. I've yeah. seen Roots. What? I had to check the IMDb. I think the Roots came out like the late 70s. Okay, so then it might have been just a little funny, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I reference. Think, yeah, I mean, I think the book came out before this. I don't I don't know. The books, yeah. I, I haven't so read might, the book. It might have been, you know, it might have been. Because I believe, you know, this was a Sidney Poitier, like, push project even before directing. So it might have been like, oh, let's take little mm-hmm. little hints and stuff from all this. Yeah. I mean, um, that's the thing. Because I think him and uh, Harry Belafonte, they came together to produce the film. Yeah. And then I think Poitier fell into being like, well, I'll star in it. I'm a named actor. And yeah. Belafonte was like, well, I'll play the other lead. You know, like, I'm famous. Fam- mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm famous for Bring Me the Banana. <laughs> Great song. Yeah. And then it's like... All right, now I guess I'm directing it. It's one of those things where it feels like Poitier just kind of kept falling deeper and deeper into making this film his own. That's why I feel like his performance wouldn't be as strong as you'd expect it to be, you know? Um, Just because it felt like he was concentrating on trying to be a director for the first time, trying to pick something that will make the movie look interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it also helps because the actors he has across from him are so good. Yeah. Every actor in this is great. Th- yeah. This movie made me realize, oh man, Harry's a fucking great actor. He is. It blew my mind because I was like, oh, I gotta see what more stuff he's been in. And he has only done like 20-something films in his 70-year career. And I'm like, what? Why? Why was this guy not like some like leading man in the seventies, yeah. just like killing it? Like, what? What the hell? Because I think there's a gap between this and his next film of like eight years. Yeah, I think it's Uptown Saturday Night. I don't know. Like, I I was just blown away at his um, performance. But Harry Belafonte, you know, steals every scene he's in. But I don't think he has the best scene in the movie. Mm. I think during the Homestead scene where they go back and Ruby D is there, and she's like, "Are we gonna go up to Canada?" Oh yeah. And Poitier is like, nah, I gave my word. I have to get this done. And yeah. she's just like giving the conversation as her tears just start mm-hmm. flowing and, like, and she doesn't break. And she's looping because yeah. of how like emotional she is. Like I, like she says it, I want to have your kids. And then she'll mm-hmm. loop right back. I, I told you I want to have your yeah. kids. Like yeah. it's. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Because she knows like I'm in love with this man. But the reason I love this man is because of his. Generosity. His, his selflessness. He's so principled. Yeah. Like any other man would have been like fuck it yeah good, good luck you yeah. guys have nothing but hey you know survive on your own i'm gonna try to survive on my own yeah. and he's very much i made a promise to everybody in this you know community yeah and i'm gonna see through same thing poitier always got to cast himself as the hero mm-hmm. he's like i always <laughs> he's have a good to be hero. the good guy he is a good hero but i think it's funny i'm like i can't think of a single poitier performance where he's the bad guy where he ever, like, does the Henry Fonda in Once Upon well, a Time in, in the West, where yeah. he, like, I'm going to just show up and be the bad guy. And everyone's going to be like, bro, fucking, like, Santa Claus can actually be evil. What well, the hell? I think he he, he would have made a good bad guy just by the, the way his character kind of had has that dark side. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, like, it's a switch that flips to where it's just like, you know, when Toby dies. Yeah. Um, The way he just rolls in there with the two double barrels. And, oh, yeah. Papa. <laughs> Those are the... Those, okay, I like westerns, and there's some cool ass guns in western movies. Those top five cool ass guns <laughs> yeah. in western movies. Yeah, the, the backstory about yeah the blacksmith at this fort gave them to me. And I mean, I just love the sheer power yeah. of those two, and it's just like yeah, you know, by that point he is just sick of this crew of guys that keeps yeah. killing everybody in this wagon train, and it's like hell yeah, blow them off of their poker game. And it's a reminder that it, it is a western. Mm-hmm. And the Wild West is exactly what it is. Wild. Like, yeah. you know, you took it into your own hands. And if the law caught you, then the law caught you. But if you got away, then justice is done in essence. And there's no rationalizing with these guys. So no. it's like, you got to put them down. Yeah. I think it's interesting that the movie, there's a lot of violence in the movie. But it's not a bloody movie. It's not like a Wild Bunch or Sam no. Peckinpah no. thing where there's, you know, blood squids are going off. A... The only time you see blood is at the end. And it's only on Belafonte yeah. and Poitier. Yeah. It's a... You know, classic Western where there's guns, there's shooting, mm-hmm. but there's no no blood. You Everyone know. drops with Everyone, one hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh. mm-hmm. e- even if the hit seems like it would have. It would have blown their head clean off. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's also interesting that your main the main antagonist is gone at the end of the second act. Yeah. Because yeah, it's DeFry is his name? DeShay. DeShay. Yeah. Played um, by Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. And. Deshay is like, oh, he's such like a good He's just villain. hate. He's, yeah, just, yeah. he's just hate. The embodiment of hate. And I think it's interesting, you know, they kill him in the second act and it's like, oh, but the posse keeps going on. It's almost like, well, this hate isn't a person. It's just this 
this undercurrent, this thing, it, right? So I wrote where it wrote. It becomes essentially a a heist movie at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Third act. So they kill. They bust in. Preacher man does the whole fornicate, fornicate. <laughs> That's all we do is fornicate. <laughs> Uh, and everyone's like, you know, this you're guy's a Jezebel. They love, yes. they loved it when they tore the, told the uh, the mother hen of the whorehouse, she's a Jezebel. I like that the mother hen of the whorehouse. They're like, it's true, she... Esther. You are a hoe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> mother hen. Does she tuck them in at night, read them bedtime stories? Well, that, that's what uh, they call like the leader of like, uh, like a, a brothel, or, a brothel, or the, the madam. Mm-hmm. Well, nowadays they, that's also reference. Like if you ha- see a bunch of girls, the the mother figure mm-hmm. that take is the mother hen. So, I know. I just think it's funny. I'm now just imagining her being like, "All right, you pay me twenty dollars for a great night," and then she just tucks them in, no, gets no, in the yeah. milk and cookies. That's, no, that's, that's essentially what they did. Those the women brought the. That's what they did. Fed them, took care of them. Yeah, yeah. T- it, took care of them. Dean, Dean. It, it's more like this. If it's, uh, like, it's, it's yeah. more like ah, okay, okay. Yeah. There, there, there's no. There's ducks. no the thing. There's uh, no ducks in the in the hen house. <laughs> no ducks in the hen house. I good turn of phrase, sir. Yes. Good. T- could turn a phrase yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but it's it's uh it's weird like it's it goes from oh we gotta stop the shade to okay where do we go from here now yeah and now the matter is okay we gotta get the money back to pay the indians mm-hmm. and then now we gotta run away because now the sheriff needs to because we murdered most of the, the posse yeah like i think one guy was left from the the, the posse the or a couple guys that were it, hanging out with the sheriff. The, the it was guys two in the guys, saloon. yeah. Yeah, two guys that were kicking it with the sheriff while the rest of the posse just got... Blown away. Blown. Yeah. I like how the sheriff, you know, they hear the gunfire and they're and the sheriff's like, nothing illegal yet. And he's just, and, until the lady screams. And yeah. I'm like, there was like a lot of gunfire. The way, the way he sees it is like, he <laughs> deserves it. I can't do anything about it technically mm-hmm. because the village isn't going to come over here and let me know. Yeah. Because they, they want to keep moving. And then it becomes, you force my hand, I have to. I have to do something. I have to do it now because the whole town now is like, two black people just murdered a bunch of white folk. And they, you know, robbed the bank and then they the, didn't, the sh- they didn't the, rob the post office, but, you know, they did. Uh, you tie up two guys in a cell. It was an attempted robbery. It was attempted robbery. It's yeah. one of those things where the sheriff's like, look, guys, could, I understand your plight, but there's like 10 dead bodies. Yeah. Like, you, you not only. Uh-huh. You you rob the federal building. Yeah, and you have preacher that's like you know let's take this ten pounds of gold and bucks like be realistic we can't haul away yes. ten pounds. We of need gold. the paper money. Yes, I ju- I'm just thinking back on that scene where it, you know he's like so Look, happy. We just break open this yeah, thing. The way we're he's balling, so happy. Man. The way he just like what's in the box? Gold, gold. Let <laughs> like like real gold, hard shiny gold. Yes, gold. Buck, we can take this. Like Mexico <laughs> is not that far, and Buck's like, "No, shut the fuck up. We need the paper money." Yeah. The movie does have these moments of like real comedy in it, but I would not describe this as a funny movie. I've seen I've seen a mark on it calling this like a West. <laughs> You're good. What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Thank you. Because I've seen this described as like a um, an action comedy kind of thing. I, I think there's a tag on that on IMDb, but I wouldn't call this a comedy. It has funny moments. No, it it has its comedic moments, but it's not like a full blown comedy. I think you could throw him because Preacher is so charismatic yeah. and funny, but the movie itself isn't a comedy. No, not at all. It's it's more like a uh, you know just a situational like joke, mm-hmm. like this, like in any situation, someone. 
it might be dark, but there's going to be somebody that's like cracks a joke and everyone's like, oh, no, it's funny. Yeah, like uh, when Buck and Preacher meet up again and Preacher punches him in the face and Buck goes rolling down the hill and everyone's like, oh my God, you know, this Preacher that's supposed to be good, you know, just laid out Buck who's been yeah. helping us. Then Buck gets up, he's like, no worries, it's, it's good, we're yeah, fine. Yeah, we're, we're even. I like how Buck comes up and he's like, okay, I might have deserved that one. <laughs> yeah. You only get one. Yeah. They're like, you made me get naked and you stole my horse. No. And like, you took a bite of my rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the coldest thing in the movie. He took the bite of the rabbit and, and then just throws it on the dirt. And I'm like... <laughs> Bro, you're leaving this man naked, and you could have. Why'd you got to get the rabbit dirty? And it, you know, and as funny as you know the preacher is, he did kill his owner, like former owner, yeah. like the. And that's like a real like like heavy story he's throwing yeah, out. Yeah, like the way he tells it is lighthearted, but like you know, my mom had me. He he she and me were bought. We rolled around with the guy. He would send me out, sleep with my mom. I got old enough. He sold her because he had me at, to do everything now for him. Drunk, wanted to go to sleep, left him in a pit. Mm-hmm. It it reminds me of the uh, the scene from Jaws where it's um you know Quinn's telling the story of the yeah. Indianapolis and it's like he's smiling the whole time and it's like why do you laugh so I don't cry yeah. and that that's the preacher character there. I told you, you know? it it all revolves around Jaws. Everything. Oh god, black like a doll's eyes. I'm wearing my Jaws socks today. Oh god. <laughs> You, I'm always love ready Jaws. for this moment. Brandon, are you are you a Jaws guy? I've Is, never seen it. You've never what? seen Jaws, never. <gasps> really? Wow. Yeah. That's that surprises me because I granted I don't know your if you're a Spielberg guy or not or if you're uh, like just didn't go back to like all the all the the classics I guess. Uh, you know what's weird about me and Spielberg? Me and Steve. You, you and Stevie? Yeah, me me and Spiel. <laughs> like I'll watch the movie if it's there. Mm-hmm. But I've never actively sought out his movies. Yeah, like I'll sit down and watch it. Yeah, oh, this is great. Steve made it. Of course, Steve made this. <laughs> You're like, what? What's this film? Jurassic Park. R- All right, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ah, it sounds weird. Great, but great. Okay. Yeah, like, and I don't even think of those completely as Spielberg movies. I think of them as Lucas and Spielberg, mm-hmm. like the Indiana Jones ones. I think of it more like they essentially co-directed it. I've never thought of them as, oh, just Spielberg. Like, no. Give credit to George. It's one of those things where, like, Jurassic Park, it's like, well, that's Spielberg, but there's a lot of, like, the effects team involved yeah. in that. It's it's a thing where he's very collaborative, you, so you have this weird you relationship can, with You can it. tell, like, with Indiana Jones, it's him and George. Yeah. Like, George doesn't just doesn't want to do the full grind of the daily things of being a director. The thing with George Lucas is he loves pastiche mm-hmm. and... Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is very pastiche of those 40 serials, so yeah. it feels like a George Lucas kind of endeavor, but Spielberg's cinematic eye is all over yeah. it. it's a perfect team. Now we just need to know if Dial of Destiny is going to be good. <laughs> I will still see it, because I love all the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, like you have Crystal to Skull, s- too? Even Crystal Skull. You have to go see it just because this might be the last thing run for all of them. Yeah. Let's be honest here. It it saddens me that like Harrison Ford's like what eighty something. He's yeah, he's in his eighties. Yeah, I think the only person I can think is older that's still active is Clint. Clint Eastwood has just announced that his next movie is going to be his last. Well, I think he feels it. <laughs> he's like, how old am I? Shit, I'm that old. I'm about it. Fuck. A, uh, yeah, he's even older than Scorsese. He is. He's... And we think of Scorsese as like man longitude, longitude. No, Clint. Well, yeah. I mean, we just did Good, Bad, the Ugly, and I was like, wow, this was what sixty six. Sixty. 
Yeah, something like that, 66, 67. And it's a thing where it's like, dude, Clint Eastwood's old enough to when Kennedy died. He probably had two kids and a mortgage payment. Yeah. My dad was two when Kennedy died. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, age. I like to bring this back to Buck and the preacher. Mm -hmm. So Cujo, the the elder of the, uh, the village... The tribe, essentially. Or the, the wagon train. Well, it, it, yeah, whatever you community. want to call it. The it, community. It's a village. It's a tribe. Mm-hmm. The way it's a they, family. Yeah. They run it like a, a traditional tribe. So I like rather call it a tribe or a village. Uh, he, I like westerns, man. The gunslingers growing across the west. That's what we're going to call it. Uh, he was born in 1889, that gentleman. Wow. So he was... What the fuck? So the way his performance, that whole thing, I guarantee you his at least his grandparents told him how it was yeah. during Reconstruction. Because mm-hmm. this movie takes place in the Reconstruction period of uh, America. like After the Civil War. 1860 yeah. to 1877, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think, the, I think the movie calls out at the beginning. It's supposed to be like 1870-something. Yeah, it has that whole George Lucas, here's mm-hmm. the whole... The crawl. This, yeah. crawl. This, is the, this is the theme of the movie. Yeah. We're dedicating it to like our ancestors yeah. who, who struck out and trying to make a better life for And themselves. he's the only one... In the entire film, that's old enough to at least have parents that were kids during, mm-hmm. like, because I was looking, I'm like, all right, which some of these actors are oh, Sydney oh. and Belafonte were like 20s, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was 1889, right? As a lot of those older generation, you know, were starting to die at that time, yeah. But he was there old enough to at least be told these stories about, hey, this is what happened. Yeah, and, you know, I love that that's part of the dialogue in the movie where you have people saying, you know, they promised us a square of property and, you know, a mule. And it's just, you know, they're still not giving us what they promised after all the things we did for them. Ruby D's rent. Yeah, Ruby D's rent. We ain't getting no 40 acres. Ain't not even a mule. Yeah, and it's like now, you know, it's the same conversation we have now. You know, things are promised and, you know, promises aren't met. And it's just you have to find a way to survive. Yeah. I love that there's also this symbolic thing going on in the movie because... I know it's shot a lot in Mexico, but some of it was shot in Kenya. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that final shot where they're in the green field or whatever, I'm wondering if that was actually in Kenya, because that would be such a symbolic was, thing of the movie. I was trying to figure out what shots were shot where, because you could yeah. tell a lot of, especially the cuts, mm-hmm. like you could tell the pickups. Yeah. So I'm assuming the good shots were in Kenya, mm-hmm. like throughout the film, like the the, the nice Shots of him riding the horse. The plains. Plains, Kenya. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming the pickups were in Mexico just because. That's probably easier. Cheap, well, cheaper for sure mm-hmm. to do the pickups there. And it has similar landscapes in mm-hmm. the more rural part of Mexico, at least at, during that time. Yeah, mm-hmm. to the West. And it's a Western, so it's a cheap film to make. Mm-hmm. I, I love that western aesthetic where it could be like do we have a desert oh we have a western you can film them yeah. in italy you can film them in mexico you can film them in kenya you can film anywhere and it's ironic though yeah. that the the sets the inside sets although sparse they're very very clean <laughs> yeah <laughs> even the wanted posters you could tell like oh all right just you got those from the prop department didn't you clean copies just printed them out this Not morning it, like yeah like they they were probably just made cheaply like they probably couldn't get access to like the the warner brothers because mm-hmm. if they did you see a lot you probably see a lot more classic um it, it'd be props. john johnson's mailroom johnson's food and <laughs> feed know, johnson's you'll, this you'll, and that you'll see a lot of uh john ford props there yeah. If like they had, if he had access to like the old, like to the big studio prop departments, 
You know, I, I wanted to mention that because watching the movie, this didn't feel, because this is, you know, 72. Yeah. And at this time, we're getting the um, revisionist westerns, the westerns that are, like, kind of changing, you know. Uh, White man good. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, we're getting, um you know, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, but we also had Good and the Man and the Ugly. Mm-hmm. But this feels like, like a throwback to, like, a John Ford western, just because how it's, like, constructed. Yeah. You know, and... Yeah, there's some of that, like, turning because Buck and Preacher, they're anti-heroes, but so much of the movie feels like like it could be a John Ford construction just because of how classical it looks. Yeah, it, it felt like that John Ford way of shooting where it's, like, it's raw just because they're, you know, primitive, mm-hmm. but it has a... It's all functional. Functional. I'm actually curious about this because this has been called a black exploitation film. It's also been called a anti-black exploitation film. It's it's really weird. So I'm wondering your thoughts. Is this a black exploitation film because it fits into that down and gritty kind of aesthetic, yeah. but it's filmed in this very classical style and it feels more like a prestigious kind of story it's telling? I think it's called that just in hindsight, right? Mm-hmm. It's a black exploitation film in hindsight, mm-hmm. but it's a western film directed by a black director that wanted black influence in it. Mm-hmm. Um the music, right? You got the music. Yeah. Every, all the classic clichés of western music, mm-hmm. the harmonica, the little string guitar, and then you got this bass, these funky drums that, you know, <laughs> bah, bah, bah. Yeah. Uh and then you still get the the percussions of western in there. Yeah. So for me it's more like uh a black director taking the influences of that time of the black community, you know, mm-hmm. your your soul music. Like, he's just adding that in there. And, you know, in hindsight, that would lead... Those are things more in black exploitation films just because that's what black directors got. You know, they were only able to do during the 70s. Black exploitation, Shaft. Yeah. yeah. Um, Shaft goes to Africa, you uh, know. Superfly. Superfly. They not, were only not a fan a- of Superfly. <laughs> You are only able to do that. So, but I—it's more of a western shot by a black director about black people. Yeah. So of course it's gonna not be a classic western where it's John Wayne. <laughs> I'm coming for the engines, you know. <laughs> we, Get off your horse, Pilgrim. Yeah. We, we had a long talk about John Wayne. We and should do Dan- John. We Ford. should do Genghis Khan. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ooh, look i like i like john wayne movies that one i'm i don't claim that one that one is not a me movie i think true grit would be better to be honest that i i like the searchers no was that his um, last film his last film yeah it was true, true grit true right? grit was what he got his oscar second for. to last one because i think it was he did a roost i think it's called rooster he did a, a spin-off to true grit was it that one no it was another film because I don't think True Grit's his last one. Because I think near it's, the end, it's he's, one of the last. It's one. It's yeah. the one he won his award for. He had a, a western that was a great performance by him. Mm-hmm. And then he did one more after that, where it's a spinoff of that character because everyone praised him for that character. He's like, "Hey, John it. Ford or John Wayne, let's John go." Wayne, yeah, I mean, John Wayne is a complicated figure now because yeah. he's yeah. in some great like classical movies, but he is um, not someone you can say is like. Man, I really like John Wayne, and they're like, "Fucking why? Did you hear what he did to the Oscars?" You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to mention the shot because I just saw it in my notes. The zoom in of Buck. Ah, I forgot what was the whole. I wrote here. Zoom in to Buck. Did did Wes Anderson shoot this shot? Because it was like 
it goes, there's Buck. And it just zooms into it hands Buck. In. Just, it just zooms. Yeah, literally. Like, if it reminded me of Alex or, you know, Alex <laughs> on one of our little short films or like Wes Anderson where it's a pan and a zoom in. Hello. <laughs> I, thought, I think that's the first time we like see Buck at the beginning. He's riding into the, to the, um, the, um, the yeah. wagon train and all that stuff. And it's like, look, there's Buck. And it goes over and zoom, snap, yeah. zoom in. And he's going across the, the plane or whatever. Yeah, I was just like. All right. <laughs> like, you can tell, like, Sydney was just experimenting. Like, yeah, he and they're just, like, let's try this out today. Yeah, he, like, you know, some of the POV shots, that shot, like, he's like, all right, so this is what's going to happen. Let's, let's try something, you know, a little off kilter. Like, you're going to pan and just snap zoom. <laughs> do you think Poitier, do you think it all works? Like, his directing stuff he's doing here? Because I, I don't want to be, like, weird, but the second half, there's some clunky continuity editing going on where I feel like he didn't get enough coverage. Well, when you're, when you've never, first of all, when you don't plan on directing until you're shooting, you don't know that you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You know, and this is a case of he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Because there's some, you know, brilliant things that happen there. And then there's a lot of things that are like, I wouldn't have done that if I was directing. Mm -hmm. But he didn't know he was going to direct. So I, I forgive it for those inconsistencies. Yeah. You know, you could tell a lot of that, a lot of the worst shots are covered shots that they had to make up later, you know, when we when they did, you know, pickups. Yeah. Um, so I don't blame it for that. I just, I just take it for, um, I take it as, you know, first time director, you know. And you're starring in the film, so and it's kind st- of like, do you want to lack on the performance, or yeah. do you want to kind of lack on some of the technical stuff? And I'd rather him lack on the technical. Exactly. Because at least you have that built-in excuse of, I wasn't going to direct it in the first place. Mm-hmm. I was in front of the camera. How yeah. can I be in front and behind the camera at the exactly. same time? I can't. And he had no one to... You're already on set, probably in Kenya or Mexico. Yeah. Let me uh, send a telegram <laughs> and find... So, uh, let me go telegram uh, Orson Welles. Hopefully he's somewhere in Beverly <laughs> Hills eating and drinking. <laughs> He, he can help me out on this. Maybe he can send me a twelve-page telegraph of, of what to do. He's like, I'm frying a steak right now. I can't, Sydney. I'm so sorry. No, he just goes, Oh, the champagne by the French. <laughs> Dude, it, what does this mean? <laughs> it's one of those things because it's like, you know, Poitier actor turned director, and I'm like, I've seen that before, where you get like, you know, Orson Welles. He was an actor turned director. But you see Marlon Brando, actor turned director for one time. I would say here's time. the difference with um, Orson. He was a play director before that. Mm-hmm. A stage director. S- stage director, right? So he knows how to be in it while also giving direction. Yeah. So he already had that built-in experience of telling actors what to do. He was fortunate enough to have a cinematographer and Greg Tolan, tell me what you want and I'll figure it out. So you don't have to worry too much about it. And when Orson would start you know, fidgeting around with lights and cameras, Greg let him learn because, you know, something might come out of this. But he had a, a guiding hand. I don't think we know who Sydney's cinematographer was on this. It, I, I have it written down. Alex Phillips Jr. And what were his credits? Uh, didn't look into that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it's one of those things where it's like it, it feels like Poitier knows what he wants and he's trying to make like a very functional, good Western. Yeah. But like that thing where it's like, you know, Orson Welles didn't have film experience so he's like i just want to experiment and see what kind of happens and he had greg toland to be like one of the greatest cinematographers of all, of all time. time yeah and he's like i don't know if we can do that but fuck it i'll figure it no, out well, i'm greg fucking toland well greg toland was like i want to work with someone that doesn't know what they don't know mm-hmm. that way oh that's an idea i've never thought about that let's figure it out 
in in this it, it does feel like Sidney Poitier did not have that guiding hand because I don't know honestly it's probably, how how interested he even was in directing at this point because I I heard him say that he fell into it because he had to after yeah. a week in and he didn't even feel comfortable directing until like four or five days into shooting and it's also the thing of what was his his cinematographer's mindset yeah is it oh well the other guy hired me need the job was it work for hire is it did he have a passion for this at all or was also, it just for money think about this this guy wasn't hired by sydney yeah technically yes because he was a producer but he was hired by the director mm. so different things can go into the fact why this movie looks like crap <laughs> <laughs> do you think it looks like crap i mean there's some there's, in, there's some inspired shots but yeah. it is for the time period mm -hmm. westerns were the most basic thing to shoot Let's be honest, around this time, if you shot a Western, there was a pretty standard way, you know. Well, yeah, that, that's why I was saying, you know, we talked about Blazing Saddles a few weeks ago and just the contrast where everything is just so clean, so vibrant, these classic Western shots. Yeah. And in this movie, it's kind of like, you know, you switch from, oh, yeah, you know, that that's beautiful, that's pristine. and To then, like this real grainy, grainy real contrasted. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, if they were going for that stylistically yeah. where we want kind of like it to feel like an old grainy Western, then I would have understood. But mm -hmm. you could see the switch in so between. It kind of felt like at least the, the crew, the production crew was, it's like a half-hearted attempt. Mm -hmm. And I feel like whether it's there or not, you can tell someone isn't trying because they're ex more experienced than sydney yeah and it felt like they're just like oh who gives a shit yeah we we don't know what was going on behind the scenes yeah we also don't know how much sydney portier honestly knew about the production side of it because all the actors do well so i yeah. think he was invested in getting great performances yeah. and he just kind of kind of told the production crew to be like just make it look good and they're like how do you want it to look good Yes, and that <laughs> might have been his direction. Granted, but, I don't know because his because I haven't seen much of his directorial career after this, other yeah. than Ghost Dad, starring um, Bill Cosby. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, that was his last directorial <laughs> film. Really, I didn't know that he directed Ghost Dad. His his last directorial film. What? I wonder why was that was that during Bill per Bill Murray's period of I don't want to be a funny guy. I want to be the straight Bill man. Cosby or Cosby. Oh, Bill Cosby. Yeah, wait, Ghost Dad with Bill Murray. That would have been fun. It no, would have okay, well, been canceled later. I, every time you say Cosby, I just was translating it to Murray because I <laughs> forget that Bill Cosby attempted at being a an actor. An actor. He, Bill Cosby was the Cosby Show. He but was that, like, that's different though. That, TV sitcom acting. Yeah, that's yeah. sitcom versus an actor. Actor. Yeah. Have you ever seen Leonard Part Six with Bill Cosby? That is the worst movie ever made. Does he even get real pilly with it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's weird. I think he holds somebody up with a with a kielbasa, oh, like a sausage. God. Take and the one pill. pill. Take the pill. Oh, <laughs> it is wild. Sweet potato pills. <laughs> Get the pudding pop. The, the pudding pills. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like because I haven't seen a lot of his other directorial stuff. I'm, I think you have, right? Some of it, yeah. And is it a thing where like the production gets, it gets better? Better, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Does he elevate from like journeyman to on a tour, or is it just a thing where everything's very functional and it's well, like they're fine? I think with his direction, it's performances, mm -hmm. performance, performance, performance. And you'd expect that from an Academy Award-winning yeah, actor exactly. performance. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, you get your give and take. He's just you know started directing. He's like, all right, well, we'll give it a shot. I think he had eight, eight films, something like that. It's not that many. No. He didn't turn into a Clint Eastwood, you know, well, after No, one, no a while. one can be Clint, let's be honest here. I still can't believe he's that old. 
Clint Eastwood is old enough to have... And still starring in these movies. <laughs> yes. Boo, Clint Eastwood is old enough to have gone to high school with your grandfather and yeah. be the upperclassman in that high school. Yeah, it's a weird thought. <laughs> it's insane. It is very weird. So, you know, anybody excited uh, for, you know, Clint Eastwood's next movie? Juror number two? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, I thought we were getting Good, Bad, The Ugly Part 2. No, good, wait. Good, Bad, and Dead. <laughs> oh, cool, cool, cool. I thought we were getting canceled. <laughs> they heard the Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> no Bill Cosby in the comic book shop. Um, yeah, we'll see with Clint, you know. Hopefully, it, you know, I wonder who he's going to cast. Or will it be another one of Clint and a bunch of nobodies? I saw he has casted Nick Holt okay. in, the, really? in, in the movie. That's I saw good. that came out. Okay. I think he watched Renfield and he was like, this kid, yes. he's got something. He's got that, that does spark. He, does he cast uh, his son, Scott? I don't know. That, that's got to be really sad like, if you're just like, I'm Clint Eastwood's son. Has he cast you in any of his movies? No, he doesn't think well, I'm good enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only that, it's kind of like, no, that's fair. Because Clint could easily be like, Let me, we're going to make you a star. You're going to be Chris Kyle. Who's this Bradley Cooper guy? Yeah. Um, so, you know, good on Clint for being like, no, if you want to be in this film, you got to earn it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's, there's a Quentin, there's Quentin films. There's Scorsese. This is a Clint film. <laughs> Everyone, <laughs> you might not think about me, but when a Clint film comes out, you're like, oh man, Clint's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> that is what everyone thinks. They're like, he's still ca- good for him and then after that it's like it was a good movie oh, shit. but it's always first he's still alive <laughs> he just pops up here yeah i'm still here yeah. <laughs> like oh okay oh man you know it's it is interesting because it's like i watched unforgiven i don't know not too long ago i keep saying that i watched this not too long ago but yeah, yeah i watched it'll be like six months ago not yes. too long ago not mm-hmm. too long ago yeah, I watched Unforgiven. It's like Clint Eastwood also has this has kind of the same thing going on here, where it's very it's functional. There's some good inspired shots, but he's not trying to do a Scorsese tw- ten minute long take kind of thing. I gotta look this up because I think Pell Ryder he directed it, and it reminds me of that Buck and the Preacher of how it's just functional and just kind of mm-hmm. not like this. Uh, not what it would he'd eventually turn out to be as like a director, where it's like. Mm-hmm. Where it's very, you know, um, composed, auditory Compo- yeah, kind of like thing. Yeah, like all of a sudden he 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 went to um, USC with the uh, the hippies over there with Lucas and, <laughs> and Coppola, Coppola and, and Milius. Yeah, because I th- I know he directed Outlaw Josie Wales. Uh, oh, he did. Direct he directed, it. I think, some of the sequels to Dirty Harry. Yeah, and he might have directed Pale Rider. No, I think he Pale did. Rider's I just looked that one. up. Oh, yeah, okay. he did. Oh. But you could tell because it was like a low budget. It was towards the tail end of westerns in mm-hmm. Hollywood before it had that big gap. Yeah. Or um, what was that movie? Not Unforgiven. The other one. Oh, uh, uh, Dances with Wolves is what brought westerns back. The other one, the funner one. Tombstone. Uh, Tombstone. Yeah. yeah. Th- that kind of made I, it fun. I like how everyone's like, dude, Dances with Wolves made westerns popular again. Like, no, 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 Tombstone's the one Tombstone we want to, did, to gratify. Yeah. Tombstone's Tombstone. a masterpiece. And that's Dan- what we talked about last week. Dancing we with Wolves is a better drama than a western yes and it's also the thing where i just don't like kevin costner Costner. he hates kevin costner i'm not a fan of the cost i'm sorry (laughs) okay look me in the eyes and tell me that kevin costner is a good uh jonathan kent that is some bullshit a fantastic jonathan kent (laughs) bullshit sir i i'm gonna go into the bathroom over here and protect myself because i I think dean's gonna fly off the handle look i it's one of those things where i can't even tell you (laughs) stop that (laughs) 
Kevin, I don't understand it. Uh, this Every is time... where I wish we did record this visually. Yes. <laughs> the thing is, with like Kevin Costner, I can never invest the, in him. When we at do the all. Snyder cut. One, believe me, me, I'm gonna just. You're just gonna hold that up. Every time you start, start besmirching a performance in the movie. <laughs> We're gonna Christ. turn that into a gift so I could send it to him when he's bugging me. <laughs> uh, but also Snyderverse. We're gonna be here for like five hours no, for that episode, aren't we? Uh, if it's the Snyder cut, maybe like two. <laughs> Let, let's be honest here. You know you want to talk about the Snyder cut, then compare it to the theatrical cut and then try and bring in like Watchmen and see how this kind of fits into the universe you know it just depends if it's me and Dylan we might be here three but if it's just uh, one of us like if if we go in all right we're going to talk about this portion for this long I think we can get through in an hour and a half but then it's going to be like we're going to have to break for lunch and come back you know tomorrow (laughs) it's going to be fine guys we'll just record it at my house I have the whole setup there anyway and we wouldn't have to pay $45-60 to record it (laughs) it ain't that much here it's not that much here wasn't it $15 an hour no it's like 10 I think 12 everybody come to Undercity Comics and pay for your studio time ask for Renee he's going to help yes Yes. but you know it wouldn't have to be 40 for however long we decided to be in talking about it he just leaves the keys and be like close up when you're done we'll we'll see you tomorrow yes but um but yeah like we'll spend the night here <laughs> it, it is a thing like west westerns are such like just a functional genre of yeah. films and it's it's kind of at least during this period where they still had you know the sets were built the 20s and 30s they're still standing for the most part yeah. those that didn't burn up <laughs> yeah but at least during that time you know oh so that's built Here's $5 million, you know, just... Do what you need to do. Yeah, here's money just to travel to the planes for a couple weeks. And then we'll shoot all your in- interiors and city exteriors over here mm-hmm. at the studio lot. When did the um, Western kind of die out? Because I, I know it was in the 70s, mm-hmm. and I know you no. get a few more coming in because Alajosi Wales sometime in this era and... Mid- mid-80s. The mid-80s? Yeah, because Pale Rider was his last Western before... So it was, and that was like the last A-list Western the, for a couple years? Kind of. It was more or less, it got caught up in, what is it, Gates of, Days of Heaven or Gates of Heaven? Or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate, where it's a super expensive that The bombed. Michael Cimino movie that killed a studio? Yeah, so it bombed and then he did, I think Pell Rider was his last Western before Unforgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was pretty much just like, oh, it's a Western. It won't, not that they weren't good. It's yeah. just everyone's like, it's like Marvel movies now. <sighs> yeah, and that's what we had talked about in Blazing Saddles, that by the 80s, it was more blockbuster. And yeah. what can we do? You know, Terminator. What's all fun? These, yeah, all these fun movies. So it's like we don't have to go back to and they had the Western. It, they hadn't made the Westerns fun. Yeah, they started becoming a more um, prestige drummy thing. And that means the budget started going up because Clint Eastwood's like, I, I don't need $2 million. You know what's I need funny? Ten. It is that Pale Rider was cheap. Really? Yeah, it was cheap and it was gritty. The and it's weird because you don't see this much in Clint Eastwood movies. There is a supernatural aspect to it. Oh, because he's supposed to be like dead. No, no, he is dead. Yeah, he's the uh, embodiment of a. I think it was a pastor. Ironically, <laughs> um, bring you, it all ties back. But he, yeah, a pastor that comes to bring revenge. Pell Rider, the <laughs> death horse. Um, Apocalypse. That's the whole idea. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I I'll haven't pass. seen that one. So. It's a great movie. Okay, I'll give I it would, a watch. Yes. There's a there's a lot of good Clint Eastwood movies. Yeah, honestly. I, see, I could have brought Pale Rider. You'll be like, what? 
I really like this movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. It it is a really good movie. Like honestly, I'm kind of surprised at how good it is because it it has a very low budget kind of aesthetic. It's like a thing where oh, Poitier took over directing like a weekend, yeah. and it's like okay, I'm I'm expecting it to be like just barely functional, <laughs> honestly, because of all the production shit. Yeah. But Poitier really does tie it together. Like honestly, Ruby D and it's Harry Bell performances, Harry Belafonte, mm-hmm. they kill it in this movie and make it work so well i would say if like let's let's take them and just make it like in this time period this mm-hmm. would be a big movie oh yeah yeah like if you got jordan peele to, to direct like he, this movie it would a, be insane that, that's the only equivalent i can find right now like mm-hmm. an actor that has a big de- debut it would have been a big deal like some some studio would have been like here's some money like mm-hmm. do what you got to do um, and it probably would have won more Oscars, to be honest with you, if it wasn't like a low budget Western. Because I heard it was this was a financial failure when it came out, or like broke even, right? Yeah, something. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that this didn't have any kind of buzz, or people weren't like, "Yo, Poitier, hey, different. did his star fa- fade at this point?" It was a different period. Mm-hmm. Different period. You don't like nowadays. It would have been, oh. If Denzel decided to direct a movie, or cinephiles, like fences, right? Yeah, cinephiles would be all crazy hyping yeah. up the movie, and it would make its money back just through sheer like, oh, Denzel made a movie, boom, boom, boom. But it's just time period. You got to remember the time period. You mm. know, it's a movie bombed. Why? Well, these were the factors in it. Yeah, mm. that's that whole kind of like lightning in a bottle thing. When something's so successful, and you ask me why, I'm like, because it came out at the perfect time, perfect time. when it was supposed to happen. And I think you know, the cast is perfect for yeah. this film the story's perfect i i don't think it just landed on the right time yeah if, it, if this came out like a few years earlier right in the heart of the civil rights maybe. movement mm-hmm. would have probably either it would have been a big run or if it came out maybe even a couple years later well the heat of the night came out in that middle heat of the night was i think 67 67 right at yeah. the tail end of things still you know there's laws passed but we're still in that mm-hmm. and it it succeeded a huge success but i think it's just you know wrong time wrong place mm-hmm. you know if it's like now i think it's a big thing because black cast black heroes overcoming you know slavery like it's a mm-hmm. it's a net it fits its time period so well like this is a story that probably in many ways kind of happened yeah and i mean the the fact that the whole movie does have this thesis involved and you can draw direct parallels to the civil rights movement right where it's yeah. like oh in this movie the laws are passed to free the slaves but they are are not the, the people don't want them to be free yeah. and in the civil rights it's like all the laws are passed to make everyone equal and vote and all this stuff but the southern they don't want that to like go through there's a lot of parallels yeah, you can draw ruby d's character it's a poison or soaked into the land mm-hmm. like it's soaked in like there's nothing we can do like it's not they can change the laws but it's already built into everybody like, and it's something that we still live with now where yeah. you know we think that we've progressed and it's like no there's still so much hate that's fueled into you know it, as generations pass it gets better and better mm-hmm. but you know we all live in now so it's like it's not quick enough it's yeah. not like it should have already done change but a lot of that generation's still hanging on yeah mm-hmm. the civil rights generation like whether on either side there's there's a lot of them still around and yeah. kicking. But as, you know, as time passes, it'll get better. But, you know, like for them and then now, it in their lifetime, it wouldn't get better. No. So. it. I think that's the honestly the beautiful thing about the movie and how it's dedicated to, you know, 
their ancestors, their grandfather, their great grandparents, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's the thing where it's like these are the people that took the first step into building a better yeah. life, to building that better tomorrow. And I, it is, it is like kind of granted the movie's kind of violent and you know dark yeah. whatever but it does have that kind of like heartwarming thing where it's like but those were the times know. yeah and the irony is that movie is le- literally little less than when it was made little less than a hundred years actually 80 years since that time period mm. so for them it was very much like you, you could have found there. somebody who was like, like toby's yeah. age doing this yeah you know they would have been old as sin but yeah you know 93 well, year old you've been fine well i mean you had cujo Oh, 89 yeah. so and this was 72 so he was late he would have seven okay seven early 70s maybe no early, he would have late been 80s at, he would have been in his 80s yeah yeah so you could it was possible to find someone still around especially them growing up like, yeah you could for sure find someone that on the block that wouldn't have stories about oh well when i was a child yeah I mean, there's that famous thing where it's on like some 1960s game show where they're just like, I know your secret. And it's like, well, what's your secret? I saw the assassination of a president. And yeah. they're like, was it Kennedy? No. And they're like, what the? <laughs> and well, he's like, he was five years old in Ford's theater when Lincoln was shot. And he, this is 66 or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I'm like 93. And they're like, well, you're not even 100. And he's like, no. Oh, what yeah. the fuck? Like the time period, like, uh, what is it? Like. I think it was like this thing on uh on social media like it showed like oh you know rosa parks mm-hmm. ronald reagan martin luther king all lived during the same time period. or um mm-hmm. and frank and frank. frank and martin luther king and it's like you think of these two historical figures and it's like really that was around the same time yeah. that that's like one of those things where i'm like yo like you know, Clint Eastwood blows my mind where it's like he he was like in his 30s when Kennedy was shot right yeah, yeah. and it's like because I have this image of like well Clint Eastwood he was big in like the 70s and 80s and 90s like I don't put him in that you know early era or whatever and or it's, it's like, those things know. where people say like oh 30 years ago and people think like the 70s or the 80s and no. it's like no 30 years ago was the 90s yeah yeah it, it is interesting in that way uh, it, it's always a trip you know just how time moves and progresses. perception of time yeah and it's just like yeah i could totally see how you know we think oh this was such a long time ago in reality no it wasn't mm-hmm. but buck and the preacher great movie great western <laughs> i really liked it i mean i loved uh sydney's performance made a he's not a cowboy in the movie but i mean he's a good action hero in and, the movie yeah and it, it also like in a western sydney and old uh pastor man would be wearing your 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 light colors, your mm-hmm. light tones. It wouldn't be an all black suit like no. the preacher, the, the white hat hero, the black yeah. hat villain. It's very much like there's shades to this. Like these are good guys just because they're on on this side of doing good, but they do you know they, bad, they bad do, shit. They do what they have to do, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I love that when they're getting ready to rob the bank and stuff, we see uh, Buck go from his you know like light orange yeah. shirt to the navy blue jacket that yeah. he wears and it's like he hasn't really gone full bad no. but he does what he needs to do i love that scene where the where uh they're just you know what are we gonna do and then you know the, uh belafonte's character is just like yeah we just there's a bank there's no this and they're gonna be looking for two farm hands because all the men yeah all the men they're gonna go, go hunting go hunting for us and he's laughing and in his face is like you're serious 
you might be on to something. Yeah, I love that scene. Like, He's like, damn, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. <laughs> it, and I think that's such, it has such like a great performance. It has like a buddy cop feel to it, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like these two guys just... You know what I was reminded a lot about this? Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. This feels kind of like that buddy action comedy feel. They hit the tropes. They hit the tropes of westerns, you know, where you have these two, you know, characters that they kind of hate each other, but then they end up becoming, you know, best friends. We even have them jumping off a roof to land on horses. I'm like, we're hitting all those classic western tropes. I laugh so hard at that because it's just like they're standing there and it's shot in a way being like, oh, they're jumping off like the third story. It's like, I don't know if we're going to make this. And then it cuts and it's like three feet. (laughs) It's like the patio roof. (laughs) Yes, it is like it is like they could have. They could have just like stepped down onto the horse. It is like a two, three foot drop. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that was a funny gag. It, it was not meant to be a gag, but that was hilarious. Um, what was it? Uh, I just, you know, it's a good film. I yeah. love it. I'm glad I found it. We're glad you found it. It was a really good movie. <laughs> How did you come across this anyway? Uh, just on the Criterion channel, right? Um, searching through it, Sydney Potier month. And, uh, you know, all of them were dramas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then here's a Western. I was like, well. Which is very different because yeah. when you think of Sidney Poitier, you think of, you know, his dramatic career. Yeah. I went from Heat of the Night mm-hmm. to this. Yeah. That's a wild um, uh, double double feature, right? Because mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of his performances. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was like, let me just see. Oh, he directed something. Oh, okay. A Western. That's that's weird. Yeah. So, you know, just like I, with The Strangers. Yeah. Yeah, just just some weird like okay, let's, let's see how it is and thankfully they've been good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you haven't come across a bad one yet. Not yet. We'll see. It, it's coming. It's happening. When when we do uh uh what is it? The the Spike Lee uh, retrospective, no. that's when no. Brandon's going to just start tearing it down. No, 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 no. I don't I don't know I can do that. I, I, I just it's hard for me to sit through Spike Lee movies. You're a John Singleton man, not a John Spike Lee Singleton. man. John Singleton. Uh yeah. Just I don't I liked Inside Job, I think. Inside Men, that mm-hmm. was a movie. I like that one. If he doesn't write it, I like it. Mm-hmm. If he writes it, there's 50-50 chance where I'd be like, oh. You just hate the endings. And it's just, I feel like they there's a natural ending and he purposely decides, fuck it. <laughs> he's just sitting there writing. He's like, oh, here's the ending. No, we don't need that no, shit. No. Fuck I think he's No, he's more mad that it naturally does something he didn't i get yeah i guarantee you he has an ending in his head mm-hmm. he writes it and it naturally ends another way and that he just like fuck that like yeah. i have this ending so i'm gonna make this ending i don't care if it does i don't care if it's a square peg i'm throwing this fucking oval in there <laughs> well you know yeah. i liked uh, black Klansman. that was a good movie that's a good movie i liked it it was based off a book he didn't have mm-hmm. to write it See, yeah <laughs> you're like that's your argument you're Look, like black Klansman, great movie doesn't My- write it Guarantee you it's going to be a solid movie, unless he doesn't care about it like uh, Old Boy. Oh, oh God. Did you see Spike Lee's Old Boy? No, I haven't. Don't. <laughs> the The original one, Um, it's a Korean drama. K-drama. Drama. Yeah, and I can't remember who directed it, because it's like a, like a famous uh, director. I think he did a... Uh... No, no, he didn't. I was going to say the dude that did Parasite, but... It, it's not the same guy, but I think their names are close. <laughs> yeah, I know. Come on, but, buddy. Come on, pal. <laughs> but yeah, but um, yeah, Old Boy, really, really good. The original one is super fun. The remake stars like Josh Brolin, yes. and it feels like such mm. a... It's an American... It, it, when they talk about American remakes being bad, yeah, this is... That this is a number one. This should be a number. It shouldn't be like, oh, we adapted a, a Japanese property wrong. No, this should be 
it would be like someone trying to do an American version of Train to Busan. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen Train to I've Busan. I've seen it. And I was um, like... It's possible. I think it's, you just have to find someone that cares about it. But it's worth... But, but if someone came in and was like, you know, oh, cool zombies on a train. Let's do that here in the States. Oh, you could do that. Bullet train. You just... And throw zombies in the bullet train. <laughs> uh, um, don't touch train to Busan, please. It'll happen. It's going to happen. One of your top you're fives. Lucky, you're lucky oh. it didn't happen during zombie craze when I, I Walking Dead, like, guarantee well, you it was tox. Like, oh, dude, the zombie the zombie rise and fall in that boom is, was a wild time. Walking Dead started it. Walking Dead killed it. Yeah. Mm. That's what he asked me recently. He's like, well, how did Walking Dead end? I'm like, I have no idea. I'll tell you. Would you oh, like to know? You know? I, I would love to know. Yes. Um, so it pretty much ends by showing you the spinoffs they're going to do. Oh, oh the, the Rick and Michonne one. And then the Rick and Michonne. Um, and Daryl's going to Darryl France. Go, Daryl goes to Paris. Daryl in Paris. Is it how? So They're in fucking no, Georgia, no, no, right? No, no. So, Did he get on a rowboat? So at the end season, there, groups of people have come together to make essentially like modern colonies. Like they're living mm-hmm. everyday life. And then the zombies are just, you know. There, oh, they're, they're there. They're they're become life now. Like they, they're getting smarter. You know that whole fucking trope <laughs> oh, no. where. Oh god! But it, it makes sense in that world because zombieism is a disease. Yeah. So a disease mutates. You mm. can give it that. That, but it it, it kind of was like uh, it's a whole thing. They they destroy the Commonwealth and the whole thing, and they all split up. They find out that Rick is alive. So now. Uh, Michonne is gonna go look for Rick and they Darryl, ended the show without Dar- ending the show. And then Daryl's gonna go look for Rick and Michonne. Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> but yeah, like the whole world, like there's parts of the world where they're still like civilized. Like there's power, there's boats. Like people just kinda after the initial thing, they're like, All right, let's get back together and figure out let's mm-hmm. make a, a nice little peaceful like a I am legend when there's that colony. Mm. Yeah. At the end, which there's a sequel to where Will does live. Oh, God. Or um, even Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Where they're able to, you know... Just coexist. Coexist. They bring the army in, they clean things back up, and they utilize the zombies for menial tasks. And essentially it becomes, you know, um, well, this is life, and, you know, it's just a drama now in in the post... Not even a post-apocalyptic, because the apocalypse is over. It's just, oh, this this is our life in a rebuild of civilization. This was this blip in time... And then it's we... a 10 year blip in which the world kind of fell apart. I am so glad I never invested into Walking Dead. Yeah. I would, I feel I would have felt so pissed by the end of this. From what I'm told, pretty much it was, uh, it was like after they killed, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, Glenn? Glenn. After they killed Glenn, it kind of went off. That's where I kind of tapped out. Yeah. Cause the Glenn became way more of an important character than anyone expected. Mm-hmm. And Kirkland was like, we got to get back to the comics baby mm. let's get back kill this motherfucker jesus mm-hmm. and oh. then after that like they tried to do the comics more you know they give carl the one eye yeah i don't know if rick ever lost his arm like he was supposed to i don't think so because at the end of walking dead the comic rick dies yeah, yeah, yeah. they yeah. kill rick um because he gets assassinated but i think this is it for rick after the spinoff, because he said, I'm tired of this shit. Like, yeah, I think Andrew Lincoln is even like, well, he, I hate doing this. Because it was going to be a three-movie trilogy, but he was like, no, I'm tired of coming to Georgia. I want to go back to England. <laughs> That's so, a lot of physicality, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to see my family. Mm-hmm. Like, 
There's also what? a thing where he's kind of like serious about like acting, so I think he cuts weight for this to yeah. look that kind mm-hmm. of gaunt look to it. And uh, he's pretty much he told the, the you know AMC like, hey, one miniseries finalized, that's it, done. Mm-hmm. I'm over this. So it became a miniseries now that is, I think it's like ten episodes, and that's it. The one that I'm scared of is uh, Daryl in Paris. That one I'm actually <laughs> excited for. I want to see if it's terrible, but at the same time, I saw some like. Um, I saw a production reel from someone that like lives on the street that they're filming some of the yeah. scenes and she's just like panning down and she's speaking in French and you just see zombies, oui, oui. you see zombies coming up her street. And I mean, because it's AMC zombies, they look really good because yeah. they're Greg Nicotero zombies. And I'm like, holy crap, I would be terrified looking out my window and seeing them come down the street. <laughs> and then she, she goes down her stairs and she asks them in French, you know, um, can, can I leave my house? And the zombies, oh, sure, oh, sure. We're not filming at the moment, so you could leave your house. And it's Jesus just, Christ. it's this most random thing. So I'm like, I need That's to watch funny. this show. I absolutely need it. It's going to be terrible. It is. It's going to look great. Be terrible. <laughs> Dude, the, oh my God, wait. the story of like 90% of TV shows now. It's like um, the Lord of the Rings series where it's like, great. oh, it looks good. Fucking terrible. I think we've, as a society, we've come down to, you know, just the average viewer. Mm. It looks like a movie. It must be good. Yeah. The like the Marvel um, syndrome. Everything not looks that, good. No, it's not, not very nice. At this, no, at this point, Marvel movies don't look good at all. Like they've kind of they look like upscale TV shows, like upscale soap operas. I'm like, trying to think of the last Marvel movie we watched. Was it Endgame? That you and me watched. Yeah, I saw Doctor like, Strange. Like I noticed, too? it started going down in quality with the first Black Panther. Just because the way the the CG, it was a lot of CGI, it was and mostly it, CGI, and it just didn't look real. It looked, it didn't look as sharp as it as, as the sharp. previous movies. And had. You could tell it was more or less like, all right, assembly line this. I think that's the problem. Like after Endgame, everything turned into assembly line filmmaking. The last good thing is probably going to be uh, Guardians. That'll probably be the last super mm-hmm. artsy artsy thing. Because they kind of got forced into giving James Gunn back the role as well, director, no. but asking him to come back, he pretty much he probably told him like, "I'm gonna need a little little bit of room here. Mm-hmm. Get off my nuts!" Like, yeah, like you're asking me back. He's like, "I I am now the head of DC's like world now. Yeah. So if I'm coming back, you Superman. give me things." Yeah. Well, he's he's recasting Superman. Let's no. not talk about this. Let's not talk about this. Only Henry Cavill. Yeah. Brandon's having a having a stroke over there. It's like only Henry stop, Cavill stop, Superman. Stop, 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 stop. Hey, hey we went to Warner Brothers and I took a knee for Henry Cavill's statue. So so weird. <laughs> Jesus, we gotta so, turn that into a gift. So bad, but um. So yeah, Buck and the Preacher. I really like this yeah, movie, let's and I really it. like Buck and the Preacher and zombies and Superman. Because this is this episode, really. It, and Clint. Clint, and Clint yes. there's, there's a lot going on here. Let's go with the range. We'll go Becky, Mean, and Dean. Because I uh, always love to hear Dean's ratings at the what end. What are we going? Uh, one to five? One to ten? Uh, we can do one to five. I, that's what I did. Hold up, of. Dean. Did, do you have a half in there? No, there's no halves. <laughs> okay. I'm not a, I'm not a, a well, cause, pussy you know, like Dean, that. Dean likes to, you know, yeah. throw a, shake it up. So if there's halves in there, we might as well go one to ten. Mm-mm. No Mm-mm. kidding. Uh, I'm going to go four. Dang, four. For me, it's a four. Four. I also gave it a four. Wow. See, I even wrote it, it down. Is that's, it a full num- a whole whole number? That's is a that a whole number? It's a whole number, but he kind of trained in magic, so it could be a thing where, you know, yeah. he's able to just, like, pop yeah, down. Pop around. 
But yeah, like out of this, out of a five star scale, four is really where it is. It's it's not a masterpiece, but it's really really interesting. I think a lot of the themes and messages are really like complex and good to deep dive into. It's just it's a little rough around the edges mm-hmm. kind the, of thing. The performances and the uh, the script to a degree, the script yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. carry the movie. Yeah. Performances. If you want to watch like a masterclass in like acting, this is it because everyone gives a a performance. You you get Poitier as a very subtle performance. You get Belafonte as this kind of like big performance. You have Ruby D as this deep dramatic performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have Mitchell as this kind of like bastard like he evil man performance. He's a son of a bitch. It's mm, mm. I, I love the chew on this movie. I love how he was so entertained by the preacher man before he got wiped out. He's, He's like, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. He's like I know I'm the racist bad guy, but. Th- this guy's got a tight five in him. This man can just good. He, I'm in cat. I'm 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 in. I'm, I'm captivated. I'm I'm captivated. Save me, pa. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, good good action, good script, good a lot of good stuff in it. It's just you know rough around the edges, rough around the edges. But I would recommend people giving this a watch. Yeah, for sure. Same. I give it two strong thumbs up. Two 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 thumbs. Mm. <laughs> he, he does. Very nice. <laughs> very nice. I like. But uh, I, I do have a boo fact. I don't know if you guys know let's it. Go, let's oh, go. Please. Let's go. We, we, I live for these. Okay, so Julie Robinson, who plays the Indian chief's wife, mm-hmm. she's actually really tied to this cast because she's Henry Belafonte's wife. Sorry, Harry. Harry Belafonte. I'm picking <laughs> up on you know him with his Harry, Henry, Harry, Harry, Henry. and Henry, Harry, and Henry. Re- okay. Henry the Sasquatch. <laughs> yes. Oh. Oh, no. can we Wait, do... Wait, talking about Bigfoot now? Can we do Harry and the Hendersons? I haven't seen that movie... Probably yeah. since the 90s. That is my Aunt Kathy's favorite film, unironically. I remember I, I remember one scene from it. They're in traffic, and he makes the sound of an ambulance. Oh, the, so they can get through traffic. I re, that's the only thing I remember from Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, I don't know. I think it'd be interesting. But okay, but, that's but a yeah. really cool one. Yeah, I thought that was cool. That was actually Harry's wife in the movie. And even when he sees her for the first time, he's like, wow she's gorgeous and it's like oh well that's your wife yeah, yeah that, that, that better be your reaction she was probably like harry you, henry harry if you don't make me look gorgeous in this movie i will fucking leave i you. can't wait to do justice League. he's like well harry cavill henry cavill yes. harry cavill no I, I will call him primark cavill thank you very much I, he plays warhammer uh, but um but yeah, so nerd, like savage, <laughs> savages all around me. But so Buck and the Preacher, really good movie. Recommend. Yes. Highly recommend it all around. But what are we doing next week? Uh, next week, new month, new theme. So that means we're kicking off our animation month. Yes. Wow. Indeed. <laughs> so this isn't going to be like the last couple of years where it's only anime movies. This is going to be something different. We're opening up to the wide, wide world of all of animation. And we're going to start with a stone cold classic it's the only way we can open this month and it's gonna be the classic from 97 98 i can check uh it'll be 98 98 and it's one of the greatest films ever made yes i can attest to this it is scooby-doo on zombie island brandon tell me (laughs) scooby-doo on zombie island is not a great film i've been a advocate a some would say a uh, an advocate, a uh, a soldier, sp- special counsel for Alex on his quest of promoting this movie. It, it would be in the sight and sound top 100 if people really understood cinema. 
It's Kino. It's very Kino. Kino. But that's uh, next week. We 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 we. But if you guys wanted to listen to us, where can they go? If you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That's The Film Vault on YouTube, where we do lovely slideshows of this. And Brandon eventually is going to come in, film us, put us put us in the big leagues of real podcasts. The Scooby-Doo episode would have been perfect to do that. <laughs> Things happened. But if you want to follow us on socials, you can go to... Our only social, the Film Club Podcast on Instagram, where we post daily stories, upcoming episodes, and our random adventures we go on. Wow. And if they wanted to follow Brandon, where can they go? You can find me on Instagram at Brandon Wally B V. B-R-A-N-D-O-N-W-A-L-L-Y-B-V. And with that, we'll... <laughs> we'll see you next week at the Film Club. Have a good week, everybody. Bye.